Hello listeners and welcome to Marketing Blabs. This podcast is brought to you by Marketing Labs, an expert digital marketing agency based in Nottinghamshire. If you're a business owner or a marketing professional looking for straightforward, non-salesy tips and advice to help you grow your business online, then this is the podcast for you. Strap in because we're about to reveal the things that other agencies would rather you didn't know. listeners and welcome back to another episode of marketing blabs we hope you enjoyed the last blab where we talked about how you can start generating an roi return on investment from google ads and that one plus one i think is six my name is tom and i'm the creative director here at marketing labs and the host of this podcast today we're going to dive into the world of vanity metrics in the ever-evolving digital era businesses often get entangled in the web of impressive numbers that unfortunately don't contribute to real business goals. These misleading figures are what we like to call vanity metrics. So in this episode, we're going to define what they are, examine why they can be misleading, and discuss the pitfalls of relying too heavily on them. We'll also cover some of the most common vanity metrics within SEO, Google Ads, and also web design with some social media chucked in too and why they might not be as useful as they first appear. So joining me today on this blab is Matt Janaway. Hi Tom. You alright? Yeah, looking forward to this one. Looking forward to it. Lots in the industry about it. Mm, yeah. And we've also got Josie Quigley J, our digital marketing executive. Woo, been New upgraded. Upgraded. <laughs> New Promotion. title. Yeah. No longer an apprentice. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. Congrats. Thanks. Do you feel good about it? Scary. <laughs> I mean, I'm scared that you're here. Well, thanks. Still. <laughs> but congrats anyway. And finally, uh, did you add this? Code connoisseur Josh Stapleton. That's actually not me for once. Oh. <laughs> Either or, Josh is here. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good, man. Good, good. So, what are vanity metrics? Who wants to kick off on that? Uh, so, a vanity metric is... A metric that is maybe leading you to believe that you're doing well. Mm. So I guess social media is probably one of the best examples that I can give for this. When you look at, say, your follower count, you could have, like, I don't know, 1,000, 10,000 followers, but that's not really a very useful metric. I mean, you've got a lot of followers, but how many of those followers are actually engaging with your posts? Mm. It's better to have engagement, right? You want people to be engaging with your brand, your services, and obviously... If you're an e-commerce store, if you sell things, you want them to be buying from. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Josh has, Josh has nailed it there, really. They're metrics that you wouldn't necessarily, you know, they look good, but they're superficial. Mm. That's the best way of describing them, I think. They're superficial. They might seem on the outside like something is going well, like you're achieving something, but actually they have very little meaningful impact on important mm. business metrics like revenue generation for example yeah and there's also barely a correlation you know some using josh's example of maybe some sh social media statistics you know some businesses have some incredible social statistics but actually are really struggling as a business 
Mm. And there's no real correlation. It's all about engagement, really. You've got to you've got to understand which signals and which metrics are meaningful. What you also tend to find is vanity metrics are usually a lot easier to get hold of. So your follow account is just displayed on the top of your social media page, whereas finding out engagement could be a little bit trickier. Like there's tools available for stuff like that, but generally speaking, you've got to go digging for that information. Ultimately, it's all about performance, but can anyone give any sort of real world examples of where a business might have been focusing too much on yeah. vanity metrics and maybe even negatively impacted the performance if, if they're not yeah. focusing on the right things. So one we see quite a lot is, um, this is this is across the board. It's not specifically something that, it's not a conversation, let's say, that we have often with our clients specifically, but a, a lot of conversations I have generally, this does come up a lot, is newsletter subscribers. Mm-hmm. There's an obsession to keep growing a newsletter subscriber base. But in actual fact, there's only, the only time where growing your new newsletter subscribers is actually beneficial is if they're performing and the ones that are there are engaging there's no point having people in your subscriber list if they're not there for a particular reason actually you would much rather have you know fewer subscribers but really engaged subscribers that are actually wanting to receive your newsletter they're actively clicking on it every time it arrives you know they're the ones you want you don't just want to be filling it for the sake of filling it just because it looks like it's a it's a big number so for me that's that's probably a great example of a classic vanity metric mm. is is just over inflating a number that actually is quite meaningless yeah i think we see quite a lot don't we people with huge subscriber lists to something like mailchimp and you've got maybe on probably less than 50 percent actually opening even a single email from yeah. the whole time they've been sending yep and people don't realize that's actually quite an important metric for deliverability like if if you've if your subscriber list is so huge but the vast majority of them aren't actually opening them actually you're damaging your performance you're not helping your performance you're damaging it because deliverability gets lower because people aren't actually interested so in in that case if you've got 50% of the people in your subscriber list that's never opened the email call them and then you're left with a, a list that's half the size but all of them are engaged mm-hmm. and then your deliverability will improve it comes back to like a would you rather question like, would you rather have 10,000 email subscribers with an open rate of less than 5% or would you rather have a really focused subscriber list of, say, 500 yeah. but an open rate of 50%? Exactly. You'd rather have the latter, surely. Yep. And the same example applies across lots of different channels. You know, you could use the same argument for social media. Mm. If your Instagram account has 10,000 followers but very few of them see your content or engage with you, because they're okay they liked it but they're not particularly that interested like how valuable is that to you as a business whereas instead of ten thousand, if you had a thousand but all of them really wanted to follow you and they cared about what you had to say you know that's much more valuable just jumping on the back of that uh, social media example i found out kind of recently that that can be quite badly impactful to your performance on social mm-hmm. so for example say you i don't know say you've got a couple hundred uh, followers on Instagram and you decide oh I kind of want to inflate this metric maybe I'll buy some followers mm-hmm. or maybe I'll just follow all these accounts and hope that they'll follow back having all those extra followers that aren't actually engaged is a really good way to get yourself like soft limited on yeah. Instagram yeah like your stuff just won't reach like the majority of your audience because no one's actually paying that much attention to it and it makes sense feed. doesn't it like if you were at any channel like it could be social it could be it could be email it could be any channel that's quite a useful statistic to look at isn't it to determine performance of account 
if you have a huge amount of followers and they're not actually engaging in you, it, it's quite a useful signal to show low quality. Mm-hmm. It's the same in email. It's the same in any channel, really. So actually, that's a great example of where vanity metrics, not only are they pointless, but they actually can be damaging. Yeah. I think at one point as well, the thing with Instagram followers, they are so easy to fake. I think at one point everyone knew that if you followed a load of people on Instagram, you'd get a load of followers back. Mm. And that'd be it. You'd have a massive following just from sitting there for like an hour, just following loads of random people. It was so, so easy to fake. I think it's a bit easier now to, in my opinion, spot which people are sort of the dodgier accounts and Mm. things like that. And I mean, you you still get messages all the time from odd little companies just being like, oh, we'd really like to collaborate with you and this, that and the other. Mm. But... you can generally see if they've got a massive following, but then go on and there's like one comment or something like that. It's it looks out of place, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. When you see an account where there's where it looks on the outside, again, superficial is a great word for vanity metrics. It looks like they've got a big following and then there's no engagement. Mm. It, it looks superficial. A really good, a good example of someone who has lots of followers, but also has lots of engagement is Brewdog. Has anyone seen Brewdog's socials? Yeah. A little bit. I, I don't drink, <laughs> yeah. so I don't really. But yeah, I've seen. I love Brewdog, the brand in general. Um, I love the beer. Yeah, the beer is <laughs> good as well. That's a, that's a bonus. Drink responsibly, everyone. But anyway, um, I I think their social media is a good benchmark, if that makes sense. I know they're a massive brand, yep. but what I'm saying, trying to say, is that they they're doing things right and they're engaging. Yeah. Whereas you can see other brands that don't do that. So. I want to touch on examples of vanity metrics within, let's say, SEO. Mm -hmm. I'll come to you, Matt. Would you say that businesses going for quite broad keywords fall into... It makes sense. You can understand how it happens. But you very frequently, when a business understands just a little bit about keywords, what they'll likely do in their first instance is they'll look at search volume. And there's an assumption instantly that a keyword that has a higher search volume is actually better for them. There's quite a few reasons why that isn't actually true. So the first reason is because it's too broad. So I'll I'll give you an example. Let's just say somebody's searching for a new car. Chances are they wouldn't search in Google for cars or car. You just would you wouldn't do it. Your your search would be much narrower than that straight away. But let's just say you were searching for car. What actually are you looking for? Mm. What's the intent behind that search? Because you're not looking to buy a car. Certainly, you're probably looking for maybe images, some information, news, you know, specs, specs potentially, you know, those kind of things. If you're looking to buy a car which is quite important because intent is is really important here. If you're looking to buy a car, chances are it would be a narrower search term, more specific, slightly longer tail. So you might search for something like new people carriers, or you might search for something like BMW X5 alternative, something like that. And then you'd narrow your search down as you followed that journey. So your next search then might be something along the lines of Audi Q7, because you've, you've identified after you search for alternatives that Q7 is a good alternative. Then you might search specifically for diesel Audi Q7. And then you might go into search terms like Audi Q7 diesel reviews. By the time you're ready to buy, you're on a search term that is probably something like 2020 white 3 litre Audi Q7 D. 
diesel. Mm. Very specific. Now, the reason that's so important, I know it's quite a long answer, but the reason that's so important is the keyword car is pure vanity. Like people would go after that because of the search volume, but the search volume has no intent. So here you're in a situation where actually you're again you're you're potentially trying to target keywords that actually aren't going to be beneficial to your business superficial again and the big point as well here is not only is it damaging because you're targeting the wrong keywords but actually it's it's going to be impossible to rank for those keywords there's no chance that you're going to rank for car in this example whereas there's actually a pretty good chance that you'll rank for Audi Q7, white, diesel, 2023, 2022, whatever you want to search for. So there's a better chance of ranking, but also you're capturing people at the point where they're ready to buy or they're ready to use a service or, or whatever it might be. So that's a classic vanity metric is is using search volume to determine whether a keyword is good for you or not. Yeah. Controversial one, but is website traffic a vanity metric? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. To a degree, yeah. If you look at, say, page views on their own, mm. that could definitely be considered one. Because like, if you're not taking conversion rate into, into consideration with something like that, it's not really got a meaning to it. You could have a page that's ranking really well for, let, let's say it's answering a question or something. Someone could go to your page, see the question, or see the answer to the question and bounce quite quickly. But like the page view itself could be considered quite good. But yeah. if you're not actually doing anything to create like a source of revenue from that, maybe not so much. That's a great point. That's a really good point because intent matters so much here. If somebody, if if you're, we'll use the car analogy again, and I know this is specifically to Google, but or, or to search at least. But this can happen in social and any other form of traffic. If somebody clicks on a link to your website, regardless of where it's come from, if they're clicking that for a purpose, and the website matches the intent of that purpose. So as Josh said, they've answered a question. Why do they need to look around? So they will leave. So actually your bounce rate is 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 going to be impacted by that. So sometimes high bounce rates mm. can actually be a good thing. See, I think bounce rate's a really interesting one because that that sort of plays into conversion rate as well, doesn't it? To in a certain a way. degree. This is it's it's a complex formula mm. and and almost a calculation that actually you can't it can't be perfect there's so many things at play so i mean the question originally was is traffic a vanity metric and there's an argument to say in certain situations it is but there's also an argument to say actually if you've got pretty consistent conversion rates then you increase your traffic you'll increase the amount of inquiries or yep. orders you might get but at the same point it's very easy to increase traffic let's just say you 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 want higher traffic you can do it overnight just with a really cheap google display campaign in google ads you spend a couple of pounds a day and you could get lots of traffic it'd be terrible traffic like it wouldn't be useful no but you can artificially inflate those numbers quite easily so in that case i would say it is a vanity metric however if it's relevant traffic i, I think that's the key isn't it if it's relevant traffic it's not vanity and optimizing the conversion rates around it. Yeah, exactly. And and thinking about the intent again, like mm. what are they there for? Yeah. If they're there, if you can match what they're there for, then um, you know that's that's a, a good visitor. Mm. Can anybody give me any examples of actionable metrics that businesses can can take, or compared to a vanity metric, 
actionable metrics that people can look at would be along the lines of like conversion rates because that's something you're at, something is actually happening someone mm. is actually engaging with your, what you're selling the same with on social media it'd be the comments it'd be the likes it's something that's tangible that's actually showing a result so we're talking for an e-commerce site a sale a sale a phone call a, a phone call yeah for a uh, i don't know a standard brochure website with no e-commerce platform it would be a a contact form submission yeah, or live form. chat yeah um, live chat email marketing it'd not only just be open rates but also clicks if you've got clicks right the way down particularly to the bottom of your newsletter or email marketing campaign then yeah tells you you're engagement. you're getting to them you know taking that a step further though f- specifically for email newsletters if they click and open it what's the next phase do you know what I mean? Like, click and open the email. Yeah. Like, so then you'd want you want a link click. Yeah, yeah, you want engagement on the article. And then itself. deeper again, you'd then want a conversion of some sort. Yeah. Either a soft so you've conversion. Got, so you've almost got three steps within that first yeah. conversion, haven't you? Yeah. And each time the numbers will dwindle more yeah. and more and more. Yeah. So this is why having an, a really engaged audience who really wants to receive that email mm. is so much better than just having numbers. Yeah. Because it looks, if if you're if you have systems where you're looking at engagement for email, for example, it's very easy to see when there's low engagement that the email's of low quality, and that'll then impact its performance yeah. a lot. But coming back to e-commerce businesses, so you've, there's quite a few metrics that are actually really important that should be focused on. Got things like repeat custom, average order values. Average order values are vital. You know, if you're if you're struggling to increase your traffic or your conversion rates, the next obvious place to look is increasing average order values. Or lifetime value, again, another really important one. If you can increase the lifetime value of a customer. Uh, acquisition you know, cost. Acquisition cost. Yeah, that's a good one. All of these things are really important signals. Mm. And they're so much more important than obviously the ones we, we were talking about to start with. Well, I guess a big one, in terms of actionable would be revenue return on that investment is an actionable metric yeah ultimately that's what businesses want to see yeah that's probably one of the distinguishing factors as well when you look at vanity versus when you look at vanity metric versus an actionable metric yeah so generally speaking something that's actually going to create that roi is what you really want to be focusing on and anything else could probably be considered vanity it's difficult as well because when you're, I, I'm, I'm probably picking on social a little bit here and I don't mean to. And I'm only doing this because it's easier for a vanity metric in social media to, to be used. Yeah. But when you have some of your content on social media that performs well, it releases endorphins and you're pleased about that. And it makes you feel like there's an element of success. All it actually is, is that you've had some likes. So coming back to something that's tangible and coming back to something that actually means means something, you've got to try and remove yourself from that concept of did it just make you feel good or is it real sort of important signals for your business? And quite often that will come back to revenue or, or at least inquiries, and, you know, softer conversions potentially, but conversions nonetheless. And if you can remove yourself from that feeling and forget about emotion and actually think about logic and statistics, that's often the best way to split them out, you know, split them out. Um, I'm sorry, Matt, but I will always be excited when one of our social pages. <laughs> Thank you very much. And I'll and always claim the credit for it. It's so like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It is good, though, you know, and it's nice and it shows that people are engaging with it and it's useful and 
and you know people like it but you've got to at the same point you've got to understand what part that plays in the funnel mm. of of converting somebody from say a follower to a customer yeah you know that's really at the top of the funnel that's you're at the point here where it's it's mostly about awareness yeah you know that's a, that's an awareness stage instead of a conversion stage and actually of course that plays a part mm. but really you want to be making sure that you're in charge of every step of your funnel 100 percent. there's there's lots of steps that fall into ultimately the conversion at the end whether that's email social organic strategy whatever it might be but ultimately people will want to see return or revenue increases so we've talked a little bit about actionable metrics there i wanted to touch on a little bit with you josh in terms of vanity metrics from a website design and development perspective yep. have you got any good examples for vanity metrics in that that area so I guess for actual design and development, I'm struggling to think of anything too important there. Maybe something like, I don't know, page load speed important, but I mean, arguably, potentially not to a degree. I think the main one that I can think of, though, is time on page. So you could have uh, people that are like visiting your page and spending a huge amount of time on there. And I mean, that could be a good signal or it could be quite a bad signal. It may be that they're looking around and confused, not sure where to go, not sure what's the next step in the funnel. I've just thought with you, the amount of tabs you have open at one time. Yeah, so you're going to be flaying so. If much someone into was that. looking at time on page just from my interaction, they're probably talking weeks at a time. <laughs> now the thing is, generally, if the tab's not active, they don't count it. But the problem is, Josh also has lots of windows open where yeah. the tab is active. <laughs> so never they'll just see someone. me going on and offline for hours at a time. <laughs> this guy's just popping on and off. He loves us. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, seriously, though, yeah, time on page could be could be good, could be bad. You need to kind of take some other things into consideration with that. If you're able to track something like scroll distance, that could be quite useful. Yeah. Uh, if it's a blog post, especially, you can see if there's a certain point on the post where they've got like disengaged, not too bothered anymore. Maybe they've had a question answered. And if so, maybe that could be a page on its own or a blog post on its own. Also, well, interaction with buttons and stuff like that. Like I said, going further down the funnel if possible. Yeah. Or if there's something that's stopping them from going further down the funnel. Following the heat map, essentially, of where they're going on the page. Yeah. If you can get something like Hotjar, yeah. like that's ideal for tracking that kind of stuff. You can mm. see exactly what's going on. Yeah, and also uh, Microsoft have improved uh, Microsoft Clarity a lot, which is like a Hotjar alternative. Both very good systems, but Microsoft have introduced uh, lots of OpenAI, ChatGPT, into Clarity. So they use a lot of AI insights now that makes your viewing, you know, if you have to view and literally watch hundreds of people browsing around your website, it's time consuming. So using AI can help streamline that. So that's also a useful platform. It's free as well. So Similarly, I guess, to what you were saying with website of scroll time and things like that is with video content as well, whether that's on social media of YouTube reels or if someone produces a podcast as well you can it's not just about how many subscribers you have it's about the watch or the listen time it's about where they've dropped off i mean we've found that you can see quite easily in podcasts where people have dropped off and picked back up and sort now. of peak areas yeah. <laughs> when, when matt oh, yeah. goes on a rant <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can you can see all that information so then it's knowing what's happened at this point that's yeah. made them drop off well, when you start talking about socials or when cat. I start talking about passwords. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that is a big one. I fell asleep in the pod when you talked about that, so sorry. Anyway, um, let's say we onboard a new client and we're discussing KPIs with them. I'd say 
85 plus percent of the time they focus on vanity metrics surely it's important to not yeah so there's 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 certainly an element of education Mm. Uh, the education's ongoing you know where any good digital marketing agency is there to support their clients and help them understand actually what matters and, and educate them but actually focusing on vanity metrics it just leads to a false sense of success or failure but then the problem with that is it can then lead to really poor decision making if you're analyzing the wrong things and that all of a sudden is where it then becomes impactful if you're attributing your success to the wrong things yeah. or to to a vanity metric yeah so that's yeah it's quite important you, you you have to go through that phase of actually understanding what's what's good for you there is still a balance i think where some vanity metrics come into play like obviously we've said likes on social media if someone's got all the likes but no engagement it's a bit of a red flag but also i think there are still a lot of people that go out there and they'll find a business like they'll find them through google on a website and then they'll go to their social media to verify that it's legitimate to sort of see what's going on if that page has a lot of likes then it can attract the business but again my next step from seeing those likes then be okay check the engagement Mm. so the likes are sort of like we said earlier there's a first point of call and then it filters down to what's the important engagement that's a really important point actually because i have no statistics whatsoever to back this up this is just a feeling but it wouldn't surprise me if sometimes that does impact decision making you know if if there are people for example who are looking into needing a plumber and they find a couple of local plumbers and one of them's really active on instagram they've got more followers and the other one isn't particularly active I think that is the kind of thing that could influence people. Yeah, mm. It's just quite a good trust signal, I guess. Mm. Yeah, it shows the business is still up and running and active rather than one that's been yeah. dormant for ages. Yeah. I mean, I had one not long ago. Me and my friends were trying to go to LaserQuest and there's one middle of Sheffield, but their social media hadn't been active in ages. Their website's still up and live. You can still book, but their social media was dead. So mm-hmm. you drop them a message and they are shut you can't get to them but the only indication of that is from their social media not being posted on yeah interesting their website's still up and running i think this is likely a fringe uh, issue i think it's probably s- very small quantities that this might impact but the prob there probably is something in that yeah yeah it's about it comes back to the awareness and perception yeah which is everything what social media is really good for yeah so there's that but let's talk a little bit about ga4 and analytics i know with that, how how does that play a part in dis- distinguishing between vanity metrics and actionable? Is there any way that that... Well, in terms of insights, it doesn't because that's about understanding. There's no platform can, can explain what is or isn't a useful metric for you as a business because every business is going to be different. different. So that's about you understanding really what matters and taking on board... You know, if, if you have experts that are advising you, taking on board what they're saying is really quite important. However, having said that, there are various signals in GA4 that aren't available as easily in universal analytics that are quite handy. For example, one of the ones Josh was saying, scroll scroll points on pages, that is much easier in GA4. Also, so GA4 has some pretty cool event-based triggers. Whereas Universal Analytics is all about page views. GA4, you can create events for various things. So in e-commerce, for example, you might have Add to Basket as an obvious one. You might have Visit to Checkout page, whatever it might be. But you can also even have some maybe um, more subtle uh, event types. Like, let's just say you give samples away. 
you could create an event type for how many people are clicking this sample button. If you can, if your product can be customized, instead of just buying, you could have an event triggered by, well, how many people are clicking the customize button? I mean, I'm talking e-commerce here, but you could do the same for service businesses. So GA4 does allow that quite a lot easier than Universal Analytics would. So for service-based businesses, I know you've given a couple of e-commerce examples. I want to use a online fitness coach as an example. So let's say they want uh, new clients to sign up to an online fitness program. They don't sell anything online, but they want people to fill in a form, for example. One event could be them landing on the coach page or the coach's page, for example, how far they get in that process, whether they fill the form in, whether they half fill the form in and then leave. That would be a good event. Yeah, so you might have stages of that form. You might have section one, two, three, and then a completion page, for example. Each one of those pages could be an event. So Mm. you're tracking how far people get through that form. Obviously, the bigger the form, people will drop off. Mm -hmm. And this is something, actually, I'd probably urge any business that has a website to analyze what actually what information those forms are asking for because some of it genuinely might be vital but actually if if you're asking for things that are maybe a bit useful they're nice to know but not essential actually you're just lowering your conversion rates of that form people won't jump through too many hoops they just simplify it right just down. simplify it right down. Like, do you it, really need three different points of contact yeah exactly and- yeah and if you do take that form speak to them and ask them yeah like you don't need to capture everything yeah you know often the best is just to capture their contact details Mm. and if you've got any more questions just speak to them Mm. also simplifying it if it's if you can tick box because as soon as i have to write information i lose interest i just want to tick box if it's really drop downs drop downs tick boxes make it as easy as possible i know that's not quite related to this uh, podcast but it's quite important we've digressed one more on that autofill yeah like if you you can't autofill yeah so we've gone off piece a little bit there as we always do yeah but that's because we Love it. So we've talked about how not to use vanity metrics within your KPIs when just starting out or any sort of campaign. Vanity metrics can obviously mislead, which is the big one. I want to talk about, and it's a bit of a controversial one, but vanity metrics within reporting from service providers, ourselves included. I'm going to say it, other agencies inflate those metrics to make themselves look better. Have we got any examples or anything that we want to discuss around that? This is a big problem for social media agencies, to be honest. It mm. is. If, if, you know, we're quite agnostic with channels, we purposely will highlight to any potential client what we think would be the best avenue to success. If you're a specialist in just, say, social media marketing, it's quite common that you will report on things that actually don't have a business impact Josie had a conversation actually as as recent as last week from a potential client that came to us wanting some advice and I'll let Josie explain how that went yeah so they were interested in social media as in terms of advertising and rolling ads out on there because they were aware of someone who had done the same tactic And they were seeing incredible results, like 17 times return on investment compared to what was happening on Google ads. And it was leading them to be interested in wanting to run social media ads because they believed that all of that conversion was coming from social. social. That's interesting. I've I've done a few social ads campaigns for, for clients and I've found, well, first of all, I'll say it that 
Meta Ads Manager isn't great, first no, of all. No. And a big one is social media ads are, are fantastic for retargeting, like they are. They're not great, let's say, an organic campaign or a Google ad strategy for, for getting new clients or new custom, shall we call it, but they're great for retargeting clients. So there's no intent behind mm. social ads. This is the problem. Nobody yeah. is looking for a social ad. They're on social media to engage with their friends and family. Okay, they if they see an ad, doesn't mean they're not interested. Mm. But at the same point, they're not there to engage with adverts. So that lends itself to two stages of the conversion journey. Awareness, right at the top of the funnel. It's good for awareness. And at the bottom of the funnel, good for re retargeting, remarketing. The thing is, so the, the problem is, if you're trusting any platform's own data, it's very easy to overinflate it. I'm not saying this happens, but it would be pretty easy for Meta to show statistics that makes it look like your advertisement is working. Because if they show you those statistics, you're going to spend more money with them. So it's in their interest to give you information that it thinks is is going to be useful to you spending more. The big problem with the reporting on Meta is it tends to do it based on views instead of clicks, which instantly overinflates the statistics. And if you're logged into Facebook and you so happen to engage with a website elsewhere and you, you might even do a Google search for something, click on a website, so it might even be a brand search, click on the website and convert Facebook generally because you've viewed an ad, will take credit for that. So this example that Josie was talking about specifically, when you actually analyze where their revenue had come from, the statistics that were provided were grossly wrong, like incredibly wrong. And it's because they're, they're taken from views instead of clicks. So you really need to understand what that means. You can't just trust a platform's numbers or even necessarily if you're provided with a, a report on something you've got to actually understand what that means and in certain situations it can mean different things um, so that's really quite important there's lots of ways as well that meta ads manager try and almost force you down a route that is beneficial to them because obviously they're going to be making the money from it but i've found a sort of sweet spot for getting ads manager into the right place in terms of trying to optimize it charging on link click not impression mm -hmm. yeah because obviously they're going to get the thousands of impressions compared to link clicks yep so that's one little little tip for you mm -hmm. first um, tip of the day first tip yeah tip i, Can I give, give a second tip yeah okay so second tip of the day if you're running social ads do not analyze them inside social yeah. Obviously, you've got to use the platform. You can mm -hmm. look at the numbers. You can you can you know figure out what's happening, but if you want to really see the performance, use your analytics platform. Yeah, agree. probably Google Analytics. Yeah, so you give you a much bigger picture of what's actually happening. And don't take everything off face value either from from those platforms. Yeah, even social ads in general, because they're like you say, there's no intent behind social. If you're using it for a retargeting campaign, then better i think if you're setting ads up yourself within social it's good to keep your targeting separate in terms of your audiences so have a target audience and a retargeting audience nine times out of ten we end up turning off the targeting audience because it's not beneficial yeah and unless the only goal is awareness mm. 
Speaking of audiences, I think that's probably a bit of a vanity metric to think about. When you look at something like Facebook or Instagram and you're creating like an ad campaign and you see, oh, this is going to reach, I don't know, 10,000, 300,000, a million people. That's a great point. It's like, oh, so many people are going to see my ad. Brilliant. I'm going to make loads of sales. Probably not, though, because there's not going to be a huge amount of them that are actually interested. And actually, the bigger that audience gets, the looser your audience is in Mm -hmm. terms of, you know, much less specific. So um, that absolutely is a great example of a vanity metric. Just to play devil advocate, and I don't know if you'll be really able to answer this because it's not, it's still new. But saying that social media doesn't have intent, what about TikTok? Because that we now know is being used for people for searches, for reviews. It's becoming the new Google for a younger generation. Yeah, it's like a hybrid, isn't it? Yeah. The the problem is it's still retained within the platform. Mm. So chances are they're not seeing your content and going to your website. They're seeing your content and following you. Yeah. Which is still, you know, it's still good and there's there's an element of intent there, but there's no intent then behind a visit or, or, or a conversion. Yeah. So but yeah, slight yeah, there's certainly a hybrid feel about that. Yeah. It's not a traditional method like Facebook or Instagram, is it really? Yeah. It's, uh, it's evolving pretty yeah, yeah. Yeah. Pretty intensely. Have we got any tips for identifying the best metrics for businesses? Obviously every business is gonna be different. In terms of actionable metrics, ultimately for me, it's going to be revenue. Yeah, you've got to start with your business goals and yeah. work backwards. Yeah. If if you're if you have a goal to increase revenue by X amount, you need to figure out how you're going to do that, and you need to figure out which signals are important in order for you to achieve those goals. So we'll use that classic example of an e-commerce business again. If you want to increase your revenue, you need to keep an eye on your conversion rates. Your traffic will matter in that case, um, as long as it's the right traffic. You need to be thinking about average order values, lifetime value, repeat custom. You need to be thinking about dropped baskets or abandoned, you know, abandoned carts, they'll often be called. So these are all signals that actually will help you achieve those goals. Whereas other signals are, wouldn't say unimportant, but they're certainly nowhere near as important as those ones. Interesting. What about finally just touching on A to B testing? for for metrics how can people utilize that i think that's quite an interesting one to be fair because it's maybe not so much for analyzing metrics or anything but actually doing something with your metrics like uh say you're noticing a lot of bio friction on one of your product pages or um let's say a category page or something like that you can put together a different design see what is potentially going to work a little bit better again going back to using something like hotjar or what was the one you mentioned matt Microsoft Clarity. Microsoft Clarity. Yeah, using either tool like that, you'll be able to see specifically if there is a friction point on your on your funnel somewhere. Maybe it's the checkout, maybe it's a product page, whatever it is. You can A to B test some other design, and that's going to allow you, I guess, a, a potential opportunity to increase your conversion rate. Also, user testing is great here. Yeah. So if you, there are various platforms you can use where you get real people analyzing your website, trying to do specific tasks. You can literally watch them doing it. And oh, that's you a, can set them the task. You can well, set okay. them the task. You can tell them what you want them to achieve on your website. There's lots of things you can do. But by analyzing how they behave on the website, you can often find pain points. I think another thing that's really important with A to B testing is making sure that you're choosing really specific and measurable metrics to make sure you know what you're looking at and know what the results are. Yeah, you need if without that, you just have no idea if you're analyzing the right things. If you don't understand which which metrics are important it's going to be very difficult to a to b test 
you don't really know what you're testing. So you've got to have those KPIs and the signals and the goals all aligned before you do A to B testing. Because otherwise you're going to get to the end of it and you're not actually going to know what the result of the test is. Yeah. That's that's really quite important that you've got all of your ducks aligned before you do A to B testing. Absolutely. It's got to be very specific. You've got to prioritize things that are very measurable. Yeah, because mm. then they're actionable. Exactly. And you can work yeah. with them. If they're not measurable, they're not actionable. As part of an ongoing strategy, yeah. not something that's just off the cuff. Exactly. Well, that's that's actually really important about A to B testing. Mm. You, it can't be a one-off thing. No. By default, you, once a test is finished, you move on to the next test. It's a continual process of improvement. Yeah. Nice. Thank you all for being on the podcast. Have you enjoyed it? Loved it, yeah. yeah always do. Been a good one. Nice. Well, we'll see you next time. That brings us to the end of the podcast. Uh, our enlightening discussion on vanity metrics there. Those flashy numbers that can easily steal the show but often mislead. Remember, vanity metrics might sound impressive, like broad keywords for SEO high search volume, tons of page followers on social media, or even your website's bounce rate. Remember, it's essential to differentiate between these and truly actionable metrics, the kind that actually show you how your business is doing, how it's performing. We're talking about things like revenue, return on investment, conversions, actual engagement on social media, and also direct communications like phone calls. These are the numbers that actually matter to you, the ones that should be forming your KPIs. Don't let vanity metrics lead you astray. And don't forget the power of A to B testing too. This can be an invaluable way to compare different strategies and see which truly delivers the best results for your business. So thank you everybody for joining us today. Remember, the goal isn't to get the biggest numbers, it's to get the right numbers. Until next time, stay strategic and above all, stay actionable. I'm Tom and we'll see you next time.